0: Hi friends, how are you? Wherever this podcast finds you today, I hope that you are well and that the moments following will inspire you and equip you in a new way to heal, grow, and become the healthiest version of yourself. In today's interview, I sit down with Jason Prawl. He's an optimal health and longevity practitioner and the director, writer, and producer of a new nine-part series called The Human Longevity Project. If you've ever heard of Blue Zones, you know that these are some of the longest lived populations in the world. And Jason and I talk in today's episode about his experience in traveling to these places all over the world and what he believes to be the biggest contributors to their long-term health and vitality. This conversation left me with so many things to think about, things like childhood traumas, ways that we adapt to stress in our environment, and the impact of societal and cultural norms on our health. One thing that really stood out to me was this idea that you become a product of your environment. But what Jason talks about is how you can rewrite the narrative of health by age-old remedies and practices that are being used by people all over the world today. I hope you love this conversation as much as I did. And with that, let's get right into today's podcast. Jason, can you start off and just give us an idea of who you are, where you've been, the work that you're actively working on, and, and what your passion project is?
1: yeah my well, my passion project really is figuring out life. Um, you know, I, honestly, I'm just a guy who suffered a lot of pain and uh, health struggles when I was young, right I had knee chronic knee issues at thirteen, um, and I was an athlete, and so the doctors at the time told me to just rest and ice and you know the standard sort of protocol. and even at the time, even at thirteen years old, i I thought that doesn't really seem to make sense. You know, why do I need to stay off my knees? Why is it overused at thirteen and I see these Guys in the NFL and 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 playing you know professional basketball and they're they're in their 30s and and not having these issues right so so I, I was dealing with health issues for for most of my life in my 20s I had a chronic skin condition that again I couldn't find answers for and that was really um, at that age that was the beginning of the internet um, really you know I was remember using web crawler and some of these ancient uh, uh, search engines and just trying to figure out what was going on. And so that was the beginning of me kind of wandering into the health world. At that point, being an athlete, it was more about fitness and body composition. And how do I, you know, so I had, I had sort of the meathead perspective on, on health. And, and even at that was a, a good place to start, um, because that, that thrust me into a new level of understanding as I investigated my own health issues. And through that, the discovery of some of the corruption, some of the sort of things that we honestly are seeing more and more now. Back then it was it was very it was news to me being young and without the internet as as big of a resource as it is now, I was kind of uncovering things for the first time. I realized that the medical system was not set up. It wasn't really structured in a way to service my needs, um, being that they were chronic issues. Um, and so it was kind of a self-discovery uh, process for me to figure out what was going on how do i resolve this right and so i, I opened Pandora's box uh, and eventually i i left my career in mechanical engineering after 10 years and decided to be what you might loosely uh, qu- classify as a health coach or you know at that time i was an integrative functional medicine sort of um, coach or practitioner I'm not a doctor but nevertheless I, I took a lot of the courses and was in a lot of the functional neurology classes and uh, with my peers that were integrated MDs um, and the like, and so at that point, that's that's really where I I started opening the doors to an, another level of medicine, so to speak. And even within that, as powerful as that was, as many as much as I was able to help people in my personal practice, I realized there was there was deeper levels. There was things that I wasn't, I didn't have the tools to address. Things like emotional traumas, childhood development, sort of misses or, or misalignments or things that we may not have gotten in childhood that created certain thought patterns, belief systems, conditioned realities that we experience. Um, and so when I recognized that I didn't have the tools to help the people that were in front of me on that level, then I, I again, I, I opened up a new world, which was sort of this, this unseen world, which is in the, the realm of prayer, meditation plant medicines, psychedelics, childhood psychology, you know all these sort of developmental stages in, in human biology and human neurology. So once I got into that world, then I, I recognized that that's where most of our challenges lie, particularly in the West. And so it was, it was, again, it was just deeper, deeper levels of discovery of what health is, what disease is, where it comes from, how do we resolve these things? And ultimately that led me to creating the Human Longevity Project, film series, which was a nine-part documentary series going around to the world's blue zones, which are areas of the world where people are making it to 100 years or older at a, at a much higher rate than we see in the West. And so these are statistically significant areas that are worthy of study. Um, National Geographic, Dan Buettner, um, Michelle they were they really brought that to the forefront and so what I wanted to do was I wanted to go to those places where I was more likely to find people that were living uh, to 100 or beyond and dig deeper than what they originally did with the National Geographic work. In other words, I didn't want to just look at what are the commonalities, what are these people doing to make it to 100? I wanted to look at what was their environment like? What was their birth like? What were their parents doing, eating? Uh, how, what was their behavior? What I realized eventually, and we can get more into this, but In 1950, Icaria, Greece, which is a blue zone, or Sardinia, Italy, the island, was a totally different reality. They didn't have electricity in the 50s. So if you're talking to somebody who's 100 years old today, right, in the 1950s, I mean, they were an adult. We have to recognize that most of their life, they were raised in an environment that we cannot even relate to here in our modern world. And so that was the big impetus for for that uh, exploration. And that documentary film series was not, again, not just looking at what, what are they doing now, what, what do they think caused them to live a long life, but what can we take and bring, bring with us into our modern life and how is our modern life unique in ways that those people never had to deal with, right? There's unique challenges that we face today that they never had to face, right? And there's unique yeah. challenges that they faced that we don't have to face, thankfully. So there, we can't just look at them and say, okay, let's do what they did we can't. You don't have that reality to, that, you're, that we're living in. So that was kind of the, the big goal with that project. And yeah, that's, that's really been my story is, is trying to get the deepest understanding of health, longevity, life. And, and these are really just satisfying my own internal desires and questions of who I am and what am I here for, right? And which are sort of the existential questions I think we all have.
0: Yeah, I, I have to appreciate the undertaking that that is because as you're describing it, I'm thinking this is a massive project. I mean, that is not insignificant to just get up and be like, this is what I'm going to do because I can't even imagine how many people, and there are a number of people that are involved in this project and in this film that are big names in the natural health space. I mean, you've collaborated with some incredible people, but not only that, you've had to travel, you have to do the research and the legwork. And that is, I mean, that had to take you know, so long for you just to to really get knee deep into what it is that you're interested in finding out because it's not in your backyard. You've got to travel all over the world. Uh, how long did it take you to do all of that? I'm just curious now that we're even talking about it from start to finish to even put that together.
1: Well, it was quite funny because um, it, was, it wasn't really something I had in mind for very long. It was only after um, an ayahuasca ceremony that I that I had that opened me up to a new level of reality that I experienced directly, right? So people are familiar with ayahuasca. It's a, a brew that is traditionally used in, in the jungles of Central and South America. And it's used for a variety of, of, in a variety of ways. And, and it's now come to the West as a healing tool, so to speak, but in, in their cultures and their traditions, it's used a little bit differently. Nevertheless, after an experience there, I had a new understanding of, of things on some level. I, in other words, I peeked my head above the clouds for a brief moment, to recognize a different level of reality, and only then did I have sort of the the courage, the uh, the notion, um, and to some degree the the naivete to to explore this new project. Um, because you know, making a movie, even just a ninety minute documentary, can be quite expensive, right? If you follow the traditional levels, uh, traditional lines of thinking, it's you know a couple hundred thousand dollars, if not more, to create a, a film, right? And we were going to create a nine part series. Again, the naivete was probably the fact that we thought we could do it in a much easier, cheaper, more effective way, and we thought we could have fun doing it. I have a friend that's a amateur filmmaker at the time, and I said, "Hey, I got this like I got this idea, and and I have these understandings of health that I want to convey through this project, through this film, and I know the business model that would allow this to be successful. In other words, it's not going to just put us in debt just to kind of get a message out, but rather I think we can make this work financially." I've got the whole thing mapped out in my head from a medical perspective or a health perspective. And we get to go travel to Icaria, Greece and Sardinia, Italy and Costa Rica and Okinawa. And we both love traveling. I said, what do you think? Do you want to do this with me? He quit his job, um, not not right away, but partway through the project. We didn't have a ton of money to work with. We did a little Kickstarter thing, raised a couple thousand dollars. I think it was like 10 or $12,000, which was enough to get us down to Costa Rica, the two of us. And at that point, we, we, we reached out to what we called a fixer, right? Which is basically somebody in the local region that spoke English and the local uh, language, right? In, in Costa Rica, of course, that's it's Spanish. And so we needed to find a fixer and we kind of stumbled across a fixer randomly. I think it was in a Facebook kind of group or community health thing that, that um, I was in. And um, it's like the pieces just fell into place. And again, this was part of what ayahuasca helped me realize or that experience helped me realize, which is that God has always got your back. You know, the the wind is always in your sails. Should you choose to believe that? Should you choose to trust the universe, right? So it helped me step into, helped me step away from my conditioned mind, my conditioned reality, my limited beliefs, all the things that prevent us from taking action, inspired action in the world, and all that kind of dropped away and we just went. And so all the things started organizing uh, for us. And we get down there, and the hard thing about a project like this is that it's not like there's a database of, you know, 100-year-olds that you can just look up on the internet in Costa Rica I, and, yeah. then, and then email them and then, and then set up these interviews, right? Like, we actually had to just go down there, just start knocking on doors, basically, right? Which is a kind of a weird thing when you have yeah. two Americans um, and, and actually a third American who is able to speak not great Spanish, but pretty good Spanish. And, and I can understand the touch, but I don't speak it very well. And so we're literally just going around figuring out how do we find these people. And the cool part was, is that a lot of these regions, and Costa Rica being our first, they're rural regions. In other words, people knew each other, right? You mentioned you were in, in Charleston. Like, there's a little bit more of a ruralness to some of that, those areas, even though Charleston not totally rural, but, but there's, there's sort of these suburb-like places where people know each other. You know your neighbors. Uh, you know that you know your neighbor's grandson who did this or that, or their grandfather. So there's these like web of connections, right? And so down there, all we had to do was start asking, and people knew. Oh yeah, I know somebody, so and so. We need to talk to this person. This person knows everybody in the area. Okay, so we go find that person. Hey, do you know any 100-year-olds? We're doing this project. Yeah, yeah, of course. This person over here. Just go this. And there's no there's like no, there's no road names in in the place we're at. We're in this place called Samara, and and they're like just go 200 meters this way, and then take a left at this tree. And so we're doing all that, knocking on doors randomly. And sure enough, we were able to find people. And really, we just wanted to ask them questions. And particularly in interviews, as you know, in sort of podcast scenarios, the quality of information is in part due to your guests, but it's in in part due to the level of questions and the level of of genuine inquiry that you have. And Mm -hmm. so that was really what, what we brought to the table was a genuine level of inquiry And respect and honor for their traditions their wisdoms right like I think a lot of times in the West we look at these these cultures that aren't as advanced in sort of the technological sense or the societal sense that we are and we look down on them a little bit as if they don't know as much and what I found was quite the opposite that these people had tremendous wisdoms um, about health about human condition about understanding how we behave in in community in in relation to one another and so that was kind of the process. And um, so, you know, a couple thousand dollars got us to that first level. And once we had that, now we had some footage in the can, the project kind of came to life. It was a reality. Then we set out to to get investments from other friends, colleagues, et cetera, and we're able to secure enough money to kind of keep us going. You know, we, we, we had a little bit of debt coming uh, out of the sort of final production, but but we we really just bootstrapped this thing, me and one filmmaker and and an editor. You know, traveling all around the world, we not only went to the, the blue zone areas of Icaria, Greece, uh, Sardinia, Italy, Costa Rica, and Okinawa, and again, we had to find fixtures in all those places, which wasn't easy. At the same time, it all kind of naturally just happened for us. So it was wild how, all that, how that worked out. And then we we interviewed some of the most high-level integrative MDs functional medicine doctors, naturopaths, energy healer types, um, like you name it. We, we, in, we interviewed and spoke with as many people as we could in sort of the Western perspective to sort of round out this body of, of wisdom and knowledge and experience from the scientific medical to the sort of really the, the experiential that comes from um, people that have lived to 90 or 100, right? And that was one of the things that I've always thought. As much as I think I know about health um, and longevity or what have you, I'm still only 41 years old. So I don't really know what it takes to get to 100, right? I don't, I don't really understand. My mind maybe can cognize some things, but you really do need to speak with somebody who's 90, who's 100. Yeah. And then you can start to ask what it takes, what it's like. What do you want? What is the key? Right? Like they hold the wisdoms because they've lived it. So again, I think that was the, the big part was we can, we can stay in our Western mindset and, and pretend we know about longevity. But unless you've gotten to that point, I don't really think we do. Bringing all that together was kind of the key for us. And it was, it was awesome. It was amazing. And we had, we had a blast. That was, that was part of it was I wanted to do something that I enjoyed. And travel and going to speak with these people was a huge, huge gift.
0: The way that we do healthcare is unlike most other places, unfortunately. And, and we spend more money. We have more practitioners. We have... We have more resources than anybody else because we are so modernized, yet we are so sick. And so there's massive disconnect there. Can you just, and that's probably, that's so much to unpack, but I would love to know your thought on that because there are people that are living fuller, richer lives from a, a mental health standpoint, from a physical standpoint, and they, they, they don't have the things that we have, you know? So it's, to me, it's like, how do you make sense of that?
1: Yeah, you know, you, you actually kind of uh, summarized a quote that that I loosely have from my friend Paul check in, in our film series which is that you know, we have more doctors, more therapists, more nutritionists, more chiropractors th- than ever and we're the sickest we've ever been, right? So so you're pointing out this paradox that we're finding, right? And and now we're seeing um this overdose epidemic um yeah. of of these drugs that has literally thrust our life expectancy to new lows in the, in the recent years. In other words, our children are predicted to live shorter lives than their parents. This is a new phenomenon in the West. And yet we have some of the most unbelievable medical care known to man. And even beyond the traditional medical care, which is amazing, by the way, antibiotics, the, the surgeries, these things have saved untold lives. Even the stuff I don't particularly like, it's done amazing things to save lives, right? And then, What's, what's even more fascinating is we have this new movement of regenerative medicine that is now coming online. Stem cells, PRP, like we have unbelievable technologies that are using biologics. So now we're actually getting into alignment with, with what health is. We're actually using the, the natural capacity of life itself to start to heal us, and yet again, we are finding ourselves in this, in this crux of, of sickness. There's a lot to that, but what I will say is that fundamentally, It is rooted in trauma we are a traumatized culture society in the west um the family units have separated right so we are losing connection with the with the thing that holds us together fundamentally right and so we've lost connection with the family we've lost connection with the the most immediate community right and and this is of course isn't everywhere generally speaking we've lost these things and it's because we've we've valued we've placed our values in things that are that are not life supporting independence is fantastic to some degree but if we pursue independence to its extreme then we are going to lose the life-giving aspects that is connection right people talk about community it's really not about community community is a vague concept that isn't it doesn't really hold the thing that we're what we're looking for what are we actually looking for in community we're looking for connection you can be a part of a community and not feel connected, and that will make you feel more disconnected, more depressed, more anxious than if you didn't have this, this thing that we call community, right? Because when you have this thing called community and you don't have the connection, then there's an internal process that tends to run, which is that I have all this community around me and I still feel like, crap, what's wrong with me, right? So it's the connection that we're seeking. It's the safety that we're seeking, and a lot of this comes from... It's passed down through generations. And this is actually accepted science now. We actually have, have tracked methylation patterns in children um, from the Holocaust, right? The, the children of Holocaust survivors, we see that their methylation patterns are different. We have rat studies in, that, that show that if a, if a rat's going through a maze uh, and they smell cherry blossom, I'm sorry, not a maze, the, the rat gets uh, the cherry blossom scent, they get electrocuted when they, when they smell this cherry blossom. That mouse, let's, let's say it's a female mouse, then now breeds with a, with a male mouse that has never smelled cherry blossom, doesn't have any, any negative connotations with cherry blossom scent. They have pups. So only one parent has this negative association with cherry blossom. The pups now smell cherry blossoms and their nervous system spikes. So now they have a hypersensitivity to the scent of cherry blossom because one parent experienced a negative association with cherry blossom. That mouse gets, now breeds with another mouse that's never had an issue with cherry blossom. So now they have a pup. That pup also nervous system spikes when they smell cherry blossom. So, what we're seeing is we're seeing hypersensitivity passed down through the lineage because one parent at some point in time experienced what we classify as a trauma. So, what is that? That is simply life's mechanisms passing down really important information to stay safe, that that there is danger in the environment. So, be careful when you smell cherry blossom. So, we have this too. We have this built within us. And so, there's been a lot of traumas that that our parents and our grandparents and our great grandparents have experienced i mean look at the world wars right just in the in the in the 20th century alone so there's a lot there that we are still processing as a as a society then again as we rip part, rip apart the families i got to be careful when i say this but even the sort of women's rights women empowerment movement which is beautiful and amazing and needed and thank god we we recognized it and if we're forcing women into the workplace, and they don't really, and they have a fundamental desire to be a mom or they're ready to, to, to be that mom or play that role, then, then that's not good either. So we've created these, these frameworks and these ideas where we're, the mom is working, the dad is working, and the child is now left with a babysitter for most of their life, or, or mom has to work because dad left, or whatever the case is. You know, that was my scenario. I actually have trauma with my mom, and she's the one that did everything dad left wasn't wasn't capable of being dad now mom has to do all the things as a young being with without the prefrontal cortex and the cognition to understand what's happening i all i understand is mom's not there mom's not capable of of handling me because she's got a million other things going on so now i have trauma with mom that i i'm continuously processing and working to resolve and it's because dad left i actually have less trauma with dad so it's, it's really fascinating, right? And so my adult self can recognize this, and yet the two-year-old that's still there, the three-year-old that's still, there is still, still process. I'm still processing these things. And we have people that have experienced a lot worse than just divorce and, and, and all that. There's so much between preconception, let's say, and seven years old is probably the most significant period of a person's life when it comes to longevity and health. And wow. we know that from the ACES study. That's that's the most obvious, scientific, documented sort of reference point that we can give. And this ACES study was essentially, they asked people, simple questionnaire, 10 questions. Of these 10 questions, how many did you experience? ACES stands for Adverse Childhood Experiences or Events. I can't remember which one. But it's, it's what we classify as a trauma. And this is, you know, a parent's divorce. This is um, witnessing uh, abuse. This is experiencing abuse of, of various kinds. Um, a parent is incarcerated, very, I mean, kind of big, bold, obvious sort of experiences that are, that are adverse. And the more ACEs somebody marked down that they experienced, the higher their level of all disease, autoimmune conditions, cancers, wow. um, skin conditions, digestive disorders, thyroid issue, it doesn't matter. All of them start to go up and up and up. And so we can say, okay, well, maybe the trauma led to more drinking or more smoking or more, you know, abusive behaviors to oneself. And that's true, right? Suicide rates go up, self-harm goes up, all of that's true. And yet when, when they separated that out and there was no smoking, no drinking, no drugs, still higher rates of chronic disease, of autoimmune conditions, of cancers, of things that don't seem to be related to trauma, they are, they are notably higher. And so those things that we would loosely classify as trauma are really setting the stage for, for what we're experiencing. And because we have these traumas, because we have these experiences that are there before we have our nervous system fully developed, we have this hypersensitivity to all of the world around us. We have this hypervigilance to what's going on. And so now as we experience these things in our, in our teens, in our adulthood, We're looking for outlets to find safety, to find connection, to find love, to find acceptance. So we're all doing this all the time on some level, right? Some of us more than others, but our behaviors, our thought patterns, our beliefs are all rooted in primarily what happened in that sort of zero to seven-year-old. And and there's not hard numbers, but that's that's where a lot's happening. Our development is setting the stage for how our nervous system functions, how our beliefs all of these things are then built upon what happens in that first sort of core period of life. And so if you look at why are people doing the things they're doing? Why are people, why are people striving for success? Well, it's a trauma that they're, they're trying to get a need met. They're trying to find safety, they're trying to find security. They're trying to find acceptance. How do we do that? Well, in our society, we really uh, love people who are successful. We love people who do things that are magnificent and amazing. So a lot of people who are successful will have these sort of underlying physiological, neurological, biological things happening that are not conducive towards health long-term. So it's wild, but it goes back to the fundamentals of childhood. And, and so how do we going forward, how do we, how do we set our children up for better health long-term? Right? And of course, I didn't even mention, keep in mind, what food we're eating, what exercise we're doing, yeah. how we're sleeping, but all of that's wrapped up in there. Why am I eating the ice cream every night at, uh, before I go to bed, or why yeah. am I eating the the too much pizza even though I'm full? Right, like that's all based in emotional eating, in trying to get a need met. Sure, there's gut bacteria, there's mitochondria, and then we can get into the biology. I love all that stuff. Yeah, and then, yeah. The question still remains: Why <coughs> are we choosing the things that we're doing, even though we know? I know so much about health and yet I do things that are unhealthy. Why? There's something deeper going on. And so the sooner that we can start to recognize that understanding more about health. And this was my pattern. I went and I looked at what's going on inside the cell. How does, what's going on? What's the biology? How do I understand the, the, the electron transport chain and the mitochondria to figure out what's, how much uh, energy is being produced versus how much reactive oxygen species and what's that doing to the look? I, I went into all that stuff. And that's important, and it's great, and we can learn a lot. And it still doesn't get back to the inputs of what's going on. What am I thinking? What am I feeling? How am I behaving? So learn all that stuff if you if you so choose, if that's a desire for you. And the shortcut is recognize what you're doing, what you're thinking, what you're feeling. And as you investigate that with love, with curiosity, with openness, then you can start to unpack some of the deeper aspects of what's going on.
0: I'm so glad that we're we're touching on this. Like we we went deep on the trauma part because and I wish Dr. Motley was on this episode because he could validate this so much because this is what he sees in practice all the time. We've talked about this a number of times, just him and I offline. And it's unbelievable to me the impact of those formidable years, those beginning years of your childhood how that impacts the way you experience life in your adult life. And then as you age and what is so fundamentally broken to me is that we don't even talk about it. Like it is not, like you said, you know, understanding methylation, understanding, you know, some of the hardware in your body, like just genetics and things like that. Like it's fine. We're, we all have different experiences that's, that a lot of times you can't control when you're young, but what we fail to do is to say, okay, this is what happened. This is what we're dealing with. Now let's figure out how we can support your body. It's just, well, we're going to look at it from a physiological standpoint and we see that you have these deficiencies and this is what you can do to try to fix it. instead of, well, why? Like I was just at um, a leadership event, and one of the questions we, when we started off was, you know just in general, you know brought up, and somebody was just very burned out. And the, the, the person that was leading it, um, had asked her and just said, well, you know, why do you feel burned out? And she was like, because, you know, I take on too many responsibilities and he was like, why do you take on too many responsibilities? She's like, because I feel like I need to control everything. Well, why do you need to control everything? Because I'm afraid that if I'm not in control, that I'll lose everything. But what, what, where does that come from? Where, why do you feel like you may have nothing? And it's, it's like, you just keep peeling back the layers. why, why? Why? But we're not conditioned. That's not a part of how we look at our health. So, like, what's, you know, to me, what have you discovered that other people are doing in different parts of the world or elsewhere that, because here's the thing like, whether you live in the United States or Australia or Canada, wherever you are, you know, in a, in a modernized, you know, developed country. Or you could be in a, a, a completely different, you know, off the grid type of scenario somewhere that's extremely remote. Either way, trauma is trauma. We all experience stuff, but to me, I'm like, what are people doing about it? What what's different about the way that people are managing or unpacking their traumas and like handling them? That's giving them a fuller, richer, longer life than what we're experiencing here.
1: Yeah, I love that question and and kind of going backwards a little bit here. Um, when I was in these places in Costa Rica and in Ikaria and in, in, in Okinawa, I, I'd ask them, you know, like, do you know people that, are, that have cancer? Do you have digestive issues? You know, who has sleep issues? I was asking very common things that we see in the West, right? I mean, how many people do you know have sleep issues on some level? 90% of the people that we know, right? Like, so I wanted, I was asking those things and, and to, some, to some degree that there was no answer. They didn't, there was nobody with digestive issues. There was nobody with Cancers that they knew of—they didn't. It, this wasn't a reality that they were used to. I don't want to paint their life as as rosy. A lot of here's the thing that people don't like to talk about, and I will get to your question. So um, bear with me. Um, but here's the thing that people don't like to talk about in the longevity space when it comes to those cultures. We can look at it from like maybe a more Darwinian or evolutionary biology perspective. A lot of people that had sort of the weaker—I don't want to say genetics, but the weaker systems—they died. They died younger, mm-hmm. and so when we have, and look, we have those in our, in our culture, and I'm probably one of them on some level too. We're not as robust. We're not as resilient, let's say, as some other people, right? And so in those cultures, they died off. So what, what was left? The strong, let's say strong genetics. And what I mean by that is genetics, systems, behaviors, that were aligned with the environment, that were aligned to health. So, if your behaviors and if your genetic, let's say, if your body wasn't aligned, wasn't synchronized with the environment and with health, then you were more likely to die off. You're more likely to die off younger. Then you're not having children, right? So, so in other words, it's like they bred superhumans, so to speak. Like if we want to think about it in those terms, in those cultures. So, of course, they're going to have people that are living to 100 longer. So that's the that's the weird part about this sort of. Thing that people don't like to talk about and so what did we do in the west we found amazing ways to keep people who probably shouldn't be here here like what a miracle that is what an amazing aspect of the medical culture that many of us in the integrative space like to deny we saved so many people's lives so many children who probably would have died are now here and they're surviving people who had hearts that that just weren't strong enough we can keep them here right? I mean, it's really, truly remarkable. And so on that level, we have some weaker systems that the lineage continues. So there's really interesting aspects to this whole equation, right? So in other words, we might be a little bit more sensitive to our environment. And so we don't have the robustness the the resilience, the anti fragility, that maybe we would ideally like, but yet we're here and we're surviving and we're to some degree able to re express health in a new way. So this is what's cool about that. To your question, this is what I I really loved. As I got to to understand trauma and some of these things, these conditioned realities, conditioned thinking, because it's more than just trauma, because many people will say, oh, I didn't experience trauma. And the reality is is that we all did on some level, because what the the level of of difficult experience that a six-month-old can process is very little. In other words, any sort of fear or disconnection Experienced by a six month old, one year old, two year old, three year old, they, they can't handle a lot on their own. That's why their parents are such a, or, or caregivers are such a big part of it is because they help them process, right? My, I have a, a two year old, almost three, and he just loses it. He cries and he just, he processes so much emotion. Now, if I'm there to help him, in other words, my nervous system can help him co regulate, right? And when he's really young, breastfeeding is like the most unbelievable way to help the infant co-regulate, get back to a state of balance so that their nervous system doesn't stay stuck in this sort of new patterning, this coping mechanism. We all experience trauma on some level, especially if we can't remember it because we can't remember what happened when we were one, most of us, yeah, right? So, So we've all experienced, but then there's also conditionings. I remember my grandmother in particular, but to some degree, my mom too, telling me, stop being so sensitive, you know, don't be so sensitive. And so that was because I perhaps had a very expressive system emotionally when I was young, and it was too much for them to handle because they had their own stresses and their own things that they were dealing with. And so they needed me to sort of calm down, so to speak. But as, an, as a young one, what I'm hearing is, you're not okay being you. You need to be a certain way in order to get love. That's what not my cognitive process was happening, but that's what my nervous system was, was experiencing. My emotional body was experiencing, you're not okay. So we have all these conditioning. So my conditioning, and then I got into sports. So I got into baseball and football and basketball and I played at the collegiate level. So I experienced many different coaches, many of which provided templates that my father didn't, couldn't give me. So I actually had some father figure-like templates come through that, which was beautiful. And some of them reinforced this idea that it's not okay to be emotional. You wanna be, I was always the sort of the quarterback and the leader and these type of things in, in all the teams. So I had to maintain Sort of emotional balance i couldn't get too high couldn't get too low stay even keel that was a constant message for me first 20 years of my life i was told emotions really not great to show you can feel it sort of so to speak but you can't show it so i was essentially told my conditioning was don't express emotion like wow so i've had to relearn how to process emotion to express it fully not only by myself but in the presence of others which is, a, which is a new edge for me, right? So there's a lot of things going on. And so if you didn't have to deal with all that and you were living in some of these areas, your nervous system, your biology was expressing in completely different ways. This idea of epigenetics or expressing the genes was totally different. But in some of these cultures, they have other methods of dealing with this stuff. And and one of the things I've, I began to do was look at indigenous medicines. Look at the ancient cultures of Ayurveda, and Chinese medicine, right? How are they, understanding these. So I actually have been creating um, a new film series that is exploring those things. Um, we went to the Himalayas and worked with Buddhist and bone healers uh, up at 14,000 feet doing their indigenous medicine. So worked with Ayurvedic masters to understand more about Ayurveda. We were in Peru working with the indigenous um, Peruvian mountain shaman who, who primarily sues, what serves Huachumo or San Pedro and doing all kinds of other things. And so those cultures tend to have a more feminine understanding of health, of life, which is not that this, this like rigid, structured, you know, this equals that and da da da, right? That's like your very masculine, rigid, structured kind of way of thinking about things, scientific. They have a more feminine feeling understanding of things, opening up to energies and the subtleties and the softness that is life. And, and when you tune into that level of reality, you start to recognize the non, seen aspects, the energies, the subtle channels in the body. Right? In Ayurveda, the Columnades, in Chinese medicine, right? This is this is qi, right, that that is flowing. And you have these meridians that are flowing throughout the body. Now everybody in the Western world, not everybody, a lot of people in the Western world want to say, okay, where is the meridian? Is it the, is it this nervous system? Is it, is it the uh, fascia? You know what? And it's like, no, no, it's none, of, it's all of that and none of that. It's a different thing altogether. Um, and so these things that we call disease, these, these ailments, these hard times that we experience, these traumas, these difficult sufferings that we go through life, they are a catalyst for our own realization. They become such important factors to our, our growth. And so when you can get through them, and hopefully before, even before then, if we can recognize the beauty that they are, the gift that they are, then we get to the other side of that so much faster. It can be really hard. And if somebody's going through physical ailments and, and very difficult mental, emotional, or physical issues, what I'm saying may be hard to, to come to terms with, right? Or you want to believe it, but, but there's something in your body that just doesn't believe it. I get it. You know, but, but the reality is, is that the things that we experience, these sufferings are the greatest gift that we've ever been given. And if we pay attention to what they're trying to teach us, what the body is trying to tell us, with its pain, with its digestive issues, with its skin conditions, with the headaches, these things are trying to wake us up to a different level of reality, to a reality that is in alignment with our sole purpose, with life-giving properties, with the environment itself. Right? We are totally destroying our environments. And the reason that bothers me is because destroying the environment is a hindrance to all life, including us. So I'm not, this, I'm not the type that just wants to go save you know mother gaia and and you know poor earth no 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 earth's going to be fine it's us humans and the other living beings that are on this earth that are going to perish if we're not careful if we don't straighten up so a lot of this is coming into alignment with ourselves coming into alignment with the greater truth that is and when we do that then these pains go away then the then the depressions go away these things will naturally fall away when we come into alignment that's the, that's the trick
0: there's so much That could be unpacked in what you just said, but I think that so much, at least from what I'm really resonating is this mindfulness and really, really starting to interpret the expression of your health, what your body is telling you to look at it in a completely different way, because right now we see symptoms, we feel pain and They're a disturbance, they're an interruption to our life, and we don't have time for them. And we think, and the way that the medical model is set up, it's well, let's just figure out the quickest way to alleviate that pain, to, to, to remediate that, whatever it is. And then we create massive disconnect. And the more we start to layer in these conventional modalities, whether it's pharmaceutical drugs or or other, you know, something otherwise we're just creating a wider gap and then all of a sudden when you really hit rock bottom and you think i don't even i don't even know or can understand the skin that i'm feeling in because i don't feel connected to myself at all there's so much more effort that has to go in because you've got you've got massive confusion inside your body
2: hey guys dr ax here you know taking care of your own health and the health of your family has become very challenging because there are so many opinions out there. But you've gotta know what to do when someone in your family gets sick and including yourself. So for me, I believe in supporting the body's natural ability to fight disease as our first line of defense. You know, using food as medicine and herbs and essential oils in things that are natural. You know, when my daughter Arwen has an ear infection, I put two drops of garlic mullein oil in her ear twice a day. You know, when my wife Chelsea has a headache, we started dressing it with supplements such as magnesium and skull cap and other ancient remedies like CBD. You know, these are just a few examples of the many ancient treatments that have been healing people for thousands of years. And while there is a time and place for Conventional medical intervention, you know, most illness can be treated naturally in the comfort of your own home. So, over the last two years, myself, along with some other top health experts, have thoroughly crafted something new. It's called Ancient Remedies Healing at Home. It's a new course in community to put the power of natural healing back into the hands of families you'll learn exactly how to treat more than 45 conditions, boost immunity, improve digestion, balance hormones, and increase vitality with natural, age-old healing protocols tailored for you. So if you're tired of relying on a pill for every illness, if you're ready to transform your health and your family's health, then click on the link in the show notes to get 20% off right now. Hey, thanks for listening and enjoy the rest of the podcast.
0: What I'm hearing is that it's not that trauma doesn't exist in other places. It does. But the the way that we see those traumas, the way that we respond to those traumas, that is going to be the pivotal component of how you experience your life thereafter. And, And absolutely.
1: Absolutely, yeah, and-, and, and there's and there's nested truths here, right? So this is what's really important is that I find a lot, and you find this in whether it's people arguing about which diet is best or what have you, there's, there's nested truths, right? So in other words, if somebody was abused at three years old, that's a reality, that's true. You were abused, it wasn't your fault, you did nothing wrong, and yet you still suffered the abuse. So there's anger. And there's sadness and there's all these emotions that come with, with that experience. And that is true. Right? So it's not that we're saying dismiss that and see the higher reality and said that that was the greatest gift. No, no, no. They can all be true. You can be pissed. You deserve to be pissed. It was wrong. That person, you know, like you, those feelings are the truth and they're stuck. They're caught they're caught in our system. That's what's really what happens. We can view them as this thing that's caught somewhere in our system. And it doesn't really matter where, but but they're stuck. And generally what what needs to happen, not always, but it's really helpful if we have another person that can help us process. And I'm not just saying talk about it. There's actually a processing in the body through the system that needs to take place. And oftentimes it's more painful than when it's kind of just sitting there you know it's painful and it's you know it's kind of lingering in the background what happens is that it's in the background we we've, we've learned to shield it off from our day-to-day experience because it was so painful so now what has to happen unfortunately and this is what happens in ayahuasca circles this is what happens in 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 true embodied processing is that we we got to bring that thing forward mm-hmm. we got to bring it up the challenge is if you try to do it yourself you're going to get caught you're going you're going to run into a wall again because you you don't that level of mind of a 3-year-old that experienced that you're trying to process it from a three-year-old's perspective, you can't. It, we have to take a higher level of reality. So if the individual has the capacity to bring in, let's say their higher self, so to speak, if we wanna talk about it in that language, but really a more embodied growth, then perhaps they can they can process, or they can process drip, 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 you know, slowly. But the better way is to kind of leave it there in the background, maybe take a look at it every, every now and again, but you don't wanna get caught in that loop of, of bringing it to the surface, Feeling the pain, putting it back, like that's not going to get us anywhere. What we want is we want to bring it to the surface in connection with somebody who can help us process it, who, who has the templates, who understands how to process that energy. Then we we bring it to the surface and it's painful. It's awful. It is super sad and super angry. And all the emotions that you might experience, disappointment and all like all these things that we might label as bad or good, will come to the surface. And as that that, the person can help us sort of co-regulate and process this, we feel all the things that that we were unable to feel because it was too much for our little three-year-old nervous system. Mm. Now we got to feel that. And we move it through the system. The cool thing is, is that as we process there becomes a point where it starts to feel good, even the pain as we're. So it's like, at first it's awful. And then it starts to metabolize and move through the system. And then it's this like painful joy That it's been processed. And there may be more layers. So it's not like oftentimes it's just the one and done, but it's layer by layer. And each time we process more and more, we have more clarity in our life. Our finances improve. Our relationships improve. Our purpose, our worldview, our relationship with God, everything starts to come into greater alignment, Uh, how we behave with food. And I'm not saying all this happens right away, but, but the reality is as we process these things, our entire reality starts to shift. And so yes, we gotta bring those to the surface and process. It's really not about longevity. It's not about living a long time, right? So it's really about how do I become the best version of me? How do I, how do I awaken to the truth in this life so that I can help others do the same? That's it, that's all we're here for. And so whether, whether I'm here for 200 years or 500 years, or some people think that aging is a disease that we wanna cure and we can live forever, to me, that's nonsense. Um, it's, it's not about that. And so, 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 when I hear sort of the modern technocratic view of, of health and aging and, and disease and dying, I kind of just reject all that. Like, it, it's, a, it's a dangerous road to go down that we're going to start to pursue this, this idea of living forever. Don't worry about that. And this is what you find when you talk to people that are in their 90s, 100. You know, you, I'd ask them, I say, hey, you're 95 years old. You know, what a lot of people that you know have died. You know this is the reality like if you want to think about living to 150 you better hope that everybody else is living to 152 or else you're gonna be left with no one right and that's not a very fun reality you know i'd say you know, a lot of your friends have died and some of your your even your your children your siblings have passed you know what keeps you going how, how long do you want to live right so to ask these sort of like end of life questions and most of what you got was um one lady said um well, I I, I got a. I said, what what, do you, what keeps you up? What what wakes you up every day? Gets you excited? She said, Well, I have to learn the the song for the violin class on Thursday. She picked up the the violin at ninety two for the first time. and Was learning the violin. So wow. her day to day was about getting to Thursday to that class so that she could be better on Thursday, right? That's the mentality of a healthy person in their nineties. And then and then to the to more ex- existential questions, you know, like. What does it mean to live this long and how do you how long do you are you do you want to live and and oftentimes they say oh, it's up to god i'm not in control i don't care yeah and it was like there's so, so much ease with this idea of of getting older and of death i was like ah, oh, it's not up to me i'm just here and it was sort of this at this grace of god right and and i didn't grow up religious and it's not a thing that i even practice on the daily my my, my concept my appreciation for the religious ideas and the religions that hold them, um, as as deepened tremendously by by speaking and getting to experience these these older populations and these indigenous cultures and, and ancient traditions like Chinese medicine and Ayurveda, my idea of God has now grown and deepened. And so, it's really interesting what what I thought I was doing um, was trying to heal myself and figure out how to teach other to, others to be healthy, and and that's part of it, no question. But but it really comes down to I'm waking up to to the deeper truths of who we are and what we're here to do. And that is the joy of all of this. And it's also the impetus and the driving factor for why you want to heal yourself from from the mold sickness and from the EMF sensitivity and the traumas and all the things that we might experience that seem like this thing that we're caught in. Again, that's just, there's a deeper sense for for why to heal. And it's, it gets more exciting as as you move forward.
0: I love this perspective shift. And, and it's, it's so sort of surprising in one way to me, because before the interview, you know, and I had, I, I love the work that you're doing and, and I fully I was almost expecting it to be, you know, Hey, this is why, you know, we're, we're all sick and this is what we're not doing. And this is what we're living in. That's, you know, creating all this stuff. And, and I think that, that there's, you know, very valid components of that. But I love that the conversation really fell into purpose. And it's why do we care so much about extending our life? Like, is it really just about extending the runway or is it about understanding how to tap into your purpose and potential to a level that maybe you didn't even have an awareness about? You know, it's like great, you live to a hundred, but did you Grow? Were you able to really step into all that you had as the potential that's within you, you know, or did you simply exist and you just did a lot of things that created, you know, some some physical health for you? And I think that 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 is really like the the cornerstone element is understanding, you know, what is it that you're doing? Are you really living a joy filled life? Are you experiencing life in a way that creates? longevity. That's because right. if you're not, and you're trailing with trauma or things that have been passed down, and we see that all the time. I mean, it's unbelievable to me. I think there's a book, it's called The Body Keeps the Score. Mm, and awesome. yeah, the, the body does, I mean, it, and and we've done interviews. We had one um, this summer and it was uh, with someone that, that specializes in pelvic floor health. And she was like, you wouldn't even believe the amount of women that have fertility issues and have inflammation and, you know, PCOS, endometriosis, all these labels of diagnoses. And she was like, if you just dealt with the trauma that's trapped in the fascia around the pelvis that holds all of the reproductive organs, she's like, you would be so shocked at how you can restore energy and vitality to that part of your physiology but that's not the way we're unpacking it. It's let's force, you know, and I'm not saying that IVF or all of these different treatments, you know, that there's not a place for that or that anybody should feel, you know, shame or anything around that at all. But I'm just saying that that's always the next step. It's not about why is the body unable to do like what, what's really going on here? Because there's likely some issues that, that are, are more emotional related and we just completely skirt around them, and or just not. We don't even recognize that they're there. Yeah. So I, I think that what you're saying is so true, and I'm I hope that it inspires our listeners, you know, just to think that maybe if you are struggling with with a, a health condition, a chronic health condition, maybe it's something that you've just lingered for so long, and you're tired. Like that's okay. Like you should honor that. Like know that like that that is something that is very real, um, but also realize that that that's having an impact on so many different areas of your life and it's something worth stepping back and holding space for and processing like you said
1: because yeah, yeah. It's- yeah, there's there, there's a lot there right like i, I want point to this idea that in in the book, I do give all the practical aspects to living a healthy life. Not all of them, as many, as many as I could in a book, um, but it has to do with circadian rhythm. This idea that your body is on a clock, and it's mm-hmm. and this clock is is governed by the light cycles and temperature to some degree, and and food and and movement. That's a truth. And if you try to go around that or 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 live in a different way, life will remind you about that truth. And this is what we see in shift workers. Um, we see higher rates of all diseases, all cause mortality increases for those who are working night shifts, right? So that's a truth. And we, we need to recognize that. And that's practical. It's super practical, right? And then there's other things like exercise and movement and all these things that are super practical diet, super practical. So we get into all that in the book as well. And so, so it's like, we need to learn that and figure out where we're off in our practical world and look at these other realities as well. Um, there's a beautiful uh, modality that I love called DNRS, Dynamic Neural Retraining System. And this has to do with limbic system in- injuries. And the limbic system is a part of the brain that is responsible for sort of the, the, the emotional side, um, the fear, the, the trauma, right, essentially. But, but there's aspects to our neurobiology that are really important. So I find, I find generally that I, I see two camps. One is the, the physical body camp of health. And, then, and generally, the other side is the trauma and the emotional side, and it's, it's sort of the, the non-physical. Well, I think what I really love is when I see them brought together. That's what DNRS does so well, is that there's a neurobiological pattern that is associated with the thoughts, with the emotions, and with the behaviors. So we can retrain the emotional side, and we can process, and you know, that's a lot of the work that I do. And if we understand the neurobiology, if we understand what neuroplasticity is, Right? neuroplasticity is this idea that if you go pick up a golf club for the first time and you swing it and you have a coach there like telling you exactly how to swing and it's a very technical swing you're gonna do it right but you're not gonna do it particularly well right you might take 150 200 practice swings and then you go sleep and in that sleep that's where your brain is starting to process and create new neural pathways about this swing that you just did 200 times and then you go back again you do it 200 times again Day in and day out, you start to learn how to hit a golf ball, and now you have this neuroplastic change in the brain so that you know how to hit a golf ball, you know, and before you know it, you're at the professional level, right? That's what neuroplasticity is, playing the piano, you name it. We can retrain our brain with the day-to-day life so the thoughts and the behaviors and the emotions that are associated with some event that happened and the event may have been heavy metal poisoning it may have been chronic infection of mold or uh, lime or what have you that can be the triggering event that creates neurobiological patterns Mm -hmm. that that then become our rut that then become the thing that's preventing healing so we actually have to retrain the neurobiology So that's where the software is meeting the hardware and, and with a conscious process that DNRS provides, we can actually retrain these sort of, let's call them negative, but but, um, not supportive patterns of thought and behavior and emotion. We can actually retrain those into more positive life supporting patterns. And as we do that, this is, you'll see, if you look at DNRS, people have all kinds of unbelievable health conditions start to just magically resolve. And, and the reason that is, is, is not because that mast cell activation syndrome was the core issue. That was the expression of a neurobiological pattern that led to that expression that led to the, the breakouts. We can try to work the, the biochemistry or we can retrain the neurobiology and let the body knows, know what it knows how to do, which is find balance and harmony. There's, there's so much to the practical and also getting to the core which is again not just this sort of etherical, non-physical aspect of reality. That's important too. And it's the sort of merger between the hardware and the software. If we understand that we can influence the hardware to change the software, and we can influence the software to change the hardware, now we have we are armed um, with some really powerful information to change our practical reality, to change our thoughts, to change our emotions, change our behaviors. And as we do that, this is the weird spiritual truth, which is that the, the, your reality starts to organize around you in a way that you can't, it's not you. I mean, it is you because you've changed your, people call it vibration, but I, I think it's more like coherence. You become more coherent, you become more aligned. And as you become more coherent and aligned in your thoughts, in your biology, the world around you starts to, be, starts to reflect that coherence. In other words, it starts to come in alignment with who you are, what you want to do, what you want in life. And then it's like God's working for you. Like it's wild. It's wild. And I feel like I've only scratched the surface in that reality, but it's now my North Star. It's like, how do I find greater alignment? How do I find greater coherence? And that becomes kind of the essence of the book of the Beyond Longevity book that I I wrote is this idea of coherence, biological coherence and coherence in reality. If we can find that, if we can sort of make that our north star then i i don't i stop worrying about how to change the reality around me i stop trying to change the world and save the world and you know save all my friends and change my family members and start you know, it's like that's a very forceful approach right the power comes from coherence comes from alignment and as you sit in that the it's like reality starts to ripple outward and and it changes and everything starts to become easier and like that's that's the gift. That's the gift on the other side of all this is that life gets to be easier, more joyful, more easeful. Right. And this idea of well-being is now grounded in who you are. And from this idea of well-being, I can experience sadness, disappointment, anger, frustration, all the stuff. So it's not like I become just this, you know, blissful kind of being that doesn't experience this wide range of emotions. No, I actually experience those perhaps even more deeply but I fully process them and I have a level of awareness that can realize the truth of what they are, which is not that I'm this sort of being that's caught in the middle of fear and anguish and disappointment, it's I'm a being that's massive, that's uncomprehensibly in existence and I'm experiencing this thing And and it's going to pass and it's temporary and what a joy it is to experience this deep level of fear. So it's weird what I'm saying, but you can experience all these things and still hold the ground of well-being as you experience them and that is kind of the that's the foundation through which you can live and so for me it's all about developing that how do i develop more well-being more alignment more coherence not about healing anymore
0: and that's truly a gift because it's not about just dodging all of life's t- challenges you know it's really about how can i sustain how can i thrive and not be controlled by circumstances, but really know who I am and be grounded and rooted in something that is so real and meaningful in your life that even as circumstances and seasons of life change around you, you're able to adapt, you're able to navigate that and still maintain that joy and still be stepping into purpose. Because there is no question that every single person is going to face hills and valleys. Like you will be in a valley, you may be coming out of one, you may be at the mountaintop. There is no way that you get through life without hitting some of those deep, dark places. So it's how are you going to manage? How are you going to get you know get on the other side of them? And totally, and so, yeah.
1: Well, sorry to cut you off, but you, you you're really hitting on something really important here, which is kind of gets into maybe more the Buddhist idea of of enlightenment, but, but until we maybe reach that state, whatever that looks like, I think we're actually gonna be facing harder challenges. It's just that we become sort of more resilient, more anti-fragile. It's like going to the gym, right? If you've never lifted weights before and you get on the squat rack and somebody puts on 400 pounds and expect you to squat it, you're gonna get crushed, right? You can't do it. But if you start off with 100 pounds, and then, you, then, then a couple weeks later you're doing 110, and you're working your way up, the weight's actually getting heavier, but you're getting stronger, right? So that's what, that's what I've experienced anyway, is that it's not like life's challenges start to disappear. It's that they start, they continue to exist and I'm just continuing, I'm able to hold more. I'm able to, to be in the sort of eye of the storm. Meanwhile, the storm is picking up intensity and I'm able to sort of sit here and sometimes I wobble, sometimes I get caught, you know, in the wind and I'm just like, ah, right? And then I remember, oh yeah, okay, I forgot. You know, and that's constantly the case. It's like constantly this forgetting of, of the deeper truths. And then again, it's deepening up the truth, speaking from a place, not a fully enlightened being, of course, but I'm speaking of from a place of the, the realities that I've experienced on whatever level I've experienced them and continuing to try to deepen those and, and, and realize those more and more. And as I do, that's where the stability comes from. That's where I continue to stay in the center and things continue to get crazy and i recognize the beauty in all of it right the love that is there regardless of all these horrific situations that have crushed me in the past that have been too much emotionally for me to handle and those are the types of people that i seek out in my life to become my teachers my mentors those are the people you want to be around the more you can surround yourself with those people you start to pick up transmissions just energetic like these Qigong masters that i've that i've been around these ayurvedic masters bizarre individuals that have experienced and realized deeper levels of truth and reality than i have it's like when you're just around them you start to learn your system starts to eat some of these sort of shamans if you want to call them that the indigenous uh, curanderos these people that serve these medicines like they have the capacity to do like amazing things that don't even seem humanly possible and yet they're just like me as we surround ourselves with these people and we start to realize deeper levels of truth again, that we, we, we really are harnessing our capacity. And that's what I notice in these people. It's like they, their capacities is, they can hold so much. They're able to deal with so much that doesn't knock them off course. And so that's that's the trick, right? Like it's, it's not about anything other than that. It's deepening your ability to hold more, to give more, to be more, right? And this, I was reading a book recently it's actually about financial abundance, but it, it had to do with a deeper level of reality, which is that it's it's innately within life itself to want more. So in other words, it's okay to want more. Like we, we've actually demonized that in the West, like we, sort of the greed and this idea. And yes, it can get out of balance, no question. But this idea of more, this idea of abundance, this idea of expansion is built within the, the, the fundamental structure that is life. And so as we sort of embody this idea of being more of, of wanting more processing more holding more right then we become bigger we become more expansive we, we start to move into our, our our real capacity so that's that's again these are just some of the areas that i continue to dive into um, and again i want to point back to this idea that it all started with my first conscious awareness of knee pain at 13 years old that wouldn't go away
0: looks like they're experiencing we, we think that if we can just fit whatever that is on ourselves, you know, and, and put that on that it's all of a sudden we'll be able to experience life the way that they are. And it's, mm-hmm. and like you said earlier on, you know, this isolation impact, like we're so busy and there's so much noise and there's so much distraction yet we're so alone. And I think that that is really It's it creates a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety, and there's there's so much that ends up blocking our own ability to understand who we really are designed to be, and to really step in, to own that, to claim it, and to experience it, and and to be at peace with it, and not be thinking that you're left behind in the rat race, or that you know you're the only one that's sick, or you're never you're going to be you know the person with the autoimmune condition, or whatever it is, the labels, the labels, the labels, you know, it's like, that's who we really see our identity as. And we don't slow down. We don't stop long enough to think, who is it? Who am I without the labels? Strip all of that away. And so I think this is a very refreshing conversation because it takes time. And I, the the, the one thing that that keeps standing out to me is that you just, and you said it earlier, we just have to slow down to be more like we, we can't just pedal to the metal and just be going all of the time and expect to be in touch with ourselves, like to understand what it is that our body is truly experiencing and feeling because it's so busy and it's so loud and distracting all the time. So this is such a refreshing conversation. And I hope that it encourages our listeners to just be okay with maybe not even knowing. And and like you have done, I mean, you've lived you a great example of this already in that you've just started asking questions. It just started with, hey, I just don't know this, but I feel like if I did or I could experience this, it would, it would help me understand on a different level. And that's really what it's about is just this journey of being a constant learner and being open to just stopping and just saying, what is it that I haven't addressed? What is it that I don't understand? And how is that impacting the way that I feel and what what I'm choosing to do from a day-to-day standpoint? So I just thank you so much for being so open and for sharing these experiences because I mean I'm sure there we could probably do like six more episodes and and touch on all of the different things because I'm sure every place you've traveled and all of the experiences you've had with these different mentors and People that are just so respectable in the the places of the world that they exist, and the healing that they're a part of, and in and the role that they play in other people's lives—like, what an incredible experience that you've been able to be a part of! And I know that's given you just an incredible perspective on the work you're doing. So, can you maybe give us, you know, give give the listeners here, if they're just like, "Wow, this is this is like unlike anything I've ever heard before." What can they do to really take the next step of wanting to kind of walk maybe in a little bit of the journey that you have, maybe not traveling the world, but to understand it. And I know you've got your book coming out and you've got the film. So maybe give us the rundown of, you know, what you've poured yourself into that people can access.
1: Yeah. Um, at this point, the, the thing that I'm most excited about in my own sort of business and what I'm putting out in the world is um, something I'm calling the Awakened Health Academy. Um, and it's a, it's a platform sort of like Netflix, so to speak, but it's, it's designed to give people the the mental understandings of disease and various processes. And we get into gut health and, and mitochondria and, you know, energy and, you know, Autoimmune conditions and what food sensitivities are, and all the things on that level, and then also provide um, deeper understandings and deeper coaching programs, protocols, and and things to that that people for people who are ready to go to the next step and really to to take this understanding into their own hands and how to move forward. Um, so that's that's what I'm excited about. Um, putting together retreats for the first time, which is super exciting done at so many retreats myself. Um, and I find them so therapeutic. This, this idea of sort of immersive experiential understanding, um, of some of these, these things from some guides and teachers that have a really beautiful depth of, of knowledge and experience, um, to me is like one of the most profound things that we can offer, especially in our modern world. You, you said it like we're, we're so busy that, and, and a lot of that busyness is coming from the reality that we're running from our experience. We're, we're, we're kind of distracting ourselves from feeling all the turmoil and the the fear and the uncertainty and the existential angst and all the things that we're experiencing that we're just doing so much. So when we can do these things like retreats, um, it provides us a little bit of a respite, right? Not only vacation, but also a deep experiential aspect to, to help process and to help see things from new perspectives and 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 awaken to different realities and so that's that's what i'm doing and and my new um, sort of venture that i'm putting together um, which is called the awakened collective is really about that it's it's about working with and bringing forth other experts in various areas of life to help bring awareness to uh some of these deeper teachings deeper levels of reality i could have the hubris and think that i could teach it all myself but to me I recognize that so many people have gifts and so many people have, have an unbelievable depth of knowledge and experience that they can transmit, whether it's the energetics of money or whether it's qigong and how to heal yourself with qi, right? And and cultivate qi within oneself, right? Or whether it's um, Ayurvedic mastery, whatever the case is, there's, Autoimmune conditions and how to resolve those from a functional medicine. There's so many people with really the genius, and so my my new venture, Awaken Collective, is about bringing forth those people in their genius and helping to um, give them a, a bigger platform to to reach as many people as possible. And so, so that's what I'm excited about. I'm excited about this is this is fundamentally one of my geniuses, which is kind of being the facilitator, being the the jack of all trades enough to understand. What people need, and help bring it all, and, and cultivate it, and bring it together in a way that's that's meaningful. Instead of being the one who's creating something new, it's like I'm picking up all the things that I think are really really helpful, and bringing that forth to help expedite people's journeys. And so that's that's what I'm super excited about. Again, it's some of this is is about realizing who I am. What are my gifts? You know, where is my genius? You know, um, and how do I bring that forth into the world and own that and get, and be excited about that because. I have been endowed with something that nobody else has been endowed with yeah how do i bring that forward how do i recognize that first of all that's that's the first big question i'm still uncovering what that is and what that looks like but it's it's following that and trying to figure out how i can bring the most of myself through to support others in this process and so um, again that's i'm super stoked to continue to pursue that and to be able to have the ability to do that you know i feel really blessed to to finally find myself in a position where I feel safe and secure and excited in my purpose to the point where I can start to offer that because for so long and, and it's still in my system I can still recognize the the doubt and the unser- uncertainty the self doubt right the the distrust that it's all going to it's going to stay here that that it, that it could just vanish at any moment so there's still that there too but for so many years it was like this constant searching like what do i do and how do i bring it forth and how do i find safety in this idea of purpose i want to do these things but how do i create a life that allows me to feel abundant and 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 feel safe and feel inspired right and so i feel like i'm finally stepping into that i'm again i'm like i'm getting emotional as i speak about it but it's 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 so good to feel that and yeah. i'm excited to to continue to bring that through
0: so cool well it just emanates from you so it's i mean even if you're just listening to this and and it's just the audio that you're hearing i know that it just it's so evident that this is something that is meaningful to you because it's changed your life and that to me is what is so authentic and what i can appreciate the most about you and how i know that the work that you're doing is really it's true like it's that there's there's so much that can transform other people's lives because it's it's transformed your life and that just it's like it just it comes across like so clear. And, and that's I love that you're stepping into exactly what you said is so special, and unique about you that nobody else carries an assignment on your life that is has so much value. And each and every person that's listening, you need to know that you have the exact same thing. You have the exact same gift, assignment, and anointing on your life. And it's whether or not, you know, you want to be able to step into it and claim it because it is yours. And it's for you only, so I think that that's so unique and so special, and something that we can all find common ground on. Yeah, Jason, I just thank you so much for sharing all of this with us and for bringing us into your journey and your world and your projects, and for sharing it with the world. So, um, if you guys are listening, there's there are so many projects that he's already had his hands on, but one is a new book that's coming out. Um, We're super excited. Hopefully, when this releases, it's it will be available. It's called Beyond Longevity, which I know he's mentioned before. But uh, you also, you've mentioned your film that has a nine-part series, The Human Longevity Film, and then humanlongevityproject.com. Um, also, you can find his work and, and all of the things that um, he has put towards that and all of the travels and experiences. I want to be able to dive more into it. I've seen some of it, um, but now I'm just like, my curiosity, I'm just so interested to learn a little bit more. So Um, yeah, Jason, thank you so much for, for being a part of our podcast and for sharing. And, um, we just, you know, we're behind you and, and excited to see what what's to come.
1: Mm, Thank you so much for having me. And and likewise, I love what you guys are doing and there's so much alignment in in, I think our perspectives clearly with your, with your questions, I can feel you and your level of depth in these arenas. So, um, just want to honor that and thank you for, for having me on.
0: Awesome. Well, thanks guys. Thanks for listening. Make sure you look at the show notes for all of the resources and links to this episode. Share it, like it, save it, give us feedback, comments, find us on Instagram, share if you're listening to this episode, if it's helping you, serving you. We love knowing that we're there for you and we're helping you along your journey. So we will see you on the next episode.